0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 19. We're doing something a little different. Uh, Rather than trying to go through the whole chapter, um, I'm taking the second half of the chapter from verse 11 to 21, which just deals with the second coming of Christ. And verses 1 through 10 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm saving that for Sunday morning. Uh, So we're going to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But tonight, um, I want to look at the second uh, part of it. I'm going to put it in a chronological order. I want to warn you ahead of time. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine (laughs) cross-references. So you need to be turning with me, and I'm going to be patient until you get there, because I want... I want you to see the chronological order that leads up to the second coming. But for starters, let's read our verses. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat in him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his side a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come! And gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them and the flesh of the people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, And all the birds were filled with their flesh. It's a picture um, that we've been praying for ever since we were young. Um, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And um, um, and we were sitting back in the prayer room just talking about how late it really is. And I think the saying came up, don't it make you want to go home? (laughs) And right now that's the way I feel. Um, I don't want to get sidetracked on the political stuff, but if Biden indeed gets in, the implications that's going to have on us just as a church and others is might take a little bit of time, but it'll never be the same again. So what that does for me personally, it makes me want to go home. <laughs> that, that much all the more. So here we have... Um, uh, the scripture is declaring in Revelation 19, when the Lord will actually come back. But I want to, um, and when we're done with the revelation, we're going to be going back to the book of Acts. And that's the first place I'm going to have you turn tonight. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to look at the first uh, 11 verses where it talks about his first coming. So we have a first coming of Jesus Christ we'll start our study with. And if you're looking at um, Acts 1, um, Luke, the physician. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, and it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, until the ends of the earth. Now the verses I want to get to. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he was going up behold two men stood by them in white apparel who had said men of Galilee why do you stand gazing into heaven this same Jesus I want to read that again this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven so The question is, um, we know by turning to Zechariah, let's go back there, chapter 14, Zechariah is the last book in the Old Testament. We know that he was taken into heaven from the Mount of Olives. An angel appeared and said, the same Jesus is going to return. Well, in Zechariah 14, Verses, oh, well, let's read verses uh, one through four. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and it is coming shortly. And your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. This is what we read about in Revelation 18, the battle of Armageddon. The houses of rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from this, the city. And then my subtitle for verse three is the second coming of Messiah. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Already, right, we're making a connection here with the Battle of Armageddon and his returning, as we read in Acts 1, you men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven? The same Jesus is going to come back. But here in the Old Testament, it tells us the same place that he left from is the same place he's coming back to. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces... Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that a little later because we'll be coming back to these verses. From east to west making a very large valley and half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half of it towards the south. So as we begin now a chronological order of um, the second coming of the Lord We find out he left from Mount of Olives and he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, there's going to be um, a great earthquake. Now, what we're going to go through in the rest of the verses that we're going to lay out is sort of a chronological order that lead up to uh, Revelation chapter 18. So from here, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Give you a second to get there. We'll be looking at just three verses here. Of course, Matthew 24 is referring to the questions of um, what will be the sign of your coming. And in verse 27, we'll just look at, oh, three verses here. Matthew 24, verse 27 through 30 says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together immediately after the tribulation. So this is an event. Uh, the Lord comes right after the battle of Armageddon, which is really the end of the tribulation. Immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, we'll talk about that a little bit later, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great Let me make a distinction. Um, Israel is still waiting for the Lord's first coming. Uh, They don't uh, see um, um, the rapture or understand the rapture and the difference between the rapture and the second coming. The major difference is when the Lord comes for us at the rapture, we're gone. We're gone. Or changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Um, he doesn't come down to the earth, so here everybody on earth will see him and not only see him, but their emotional reaction is one of mourning and grief. So, the big difference between the rapture of the church and a second coming, the rapture we go to meet him, uh, the world does not see him coming, but at the second coming, which we are tonight, Every eye will see him and the emotional reaction is one, it'll be twofold, temporary mourning and we're gonna get to that when we close up and then an understanding of uh, the kingdom and the joy that'll come with that. So um, here it's first talked about and then if we follow the chronological order, I'd like you to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 16. So let's make our way back to Isaiah. Uh, keep your finger there. And I want to go to Hosea chapter 5 first. And I'll give you a second to find Hosea. Hosea is right after Daniel, if that helps you at all. So it's Daniel and then it's the book of Hosea. So in Hosea chapter 5, he has he hasn't come back Yet, And if you're in Isaiah chapter, I mean Hosea chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 15, a very important verse. Um, Remember the last words that the Lord said to Israel when he turned his attention towards the disciples to take the gospel into the world was, You're not going to see me again. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For taking notes, John 1 verse 11 says, he came unto his own, Jewish people, and his own received him not. He was rejected. So in Hosea chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, and we'll read the first two verses of chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. The I will return again to my place is a reference to Jesus. And in order for the Lord to return to heaven, it means he had to leave it in the first place. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? So we understand that he came down and uh, became flesh. I will return again to my place till they, is about the Jewish people, acknowledge their offense Your Bible might say sin. Well, I want to stop and make a point here. It's not in the plural. It's singular. It doesn't say offenses. It's just one offense. Um, And then they will seek my face. That is after they acknowledge their offense. In their affliction, they will diligently seek me. So what, what do we have here? We said I'm going to return to my place. And we read that in Acts 1. He went back up to heaven until. In other words, the thing that brings Jesus back again is when the nation of Israel that rejected him, that's the offense, that's the sin, when they acknowledge that, that you are our Jewish Messiah. Um, in their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Well, what is is uh, seven? Tro- your tribulation really all about? Why is it called the time of Jacob's trouble? Because he's dealing with them. Isn't that how the Lord deals with us when he wants to refine us through fiery trials and get our attention and get us back on track, so to speak? It's it's a breaking down of them, of their offense. Not sins, plural, but one. Their offense was they failed to recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, chapter 6, verse 1. This is what they say. And they'll be saying it from uh, Petra, and I'll be getting to that in just a little bit. They'll say from Petra, I believe, Come, let us return to the Lord. Now, what's been going on during this seven year period of time? Well, for the first part of it, we have a hundred and 44,000 Jewish witnesses. We have Moses and Elijah preaching the gospel. And then in Revelation 14, we have angels from heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. So during this time, there's a lot of people getting saved. And, you know, what if you're Jewish and you, you have Moses and Elijah preaching the gospel to you? So come... Uh, verse 1 let us return to the lord he has torn but he'll heal us he has stricken he will bind us up how long after 2 days he will revive us now in new testament this is one of the places that i do make the association that one day with the lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day so how long has it been since jesus has been here about 2 days about 2000 years and it's at that time that they say this. But then it says that on the third day, so now we're going into the millennium, that's a thousand years. That's why, again, I give this credibility, these days being a thousand years, because the millennium lasts for a thousand years. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Well, what causes this to happen? they call upon him. And as the Lord said, you're not gonna see me again until you guys say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will cry out and say exactly that. And that's when the Lord hears and that's what causes him to return. All right, let's go from there. Now I want you, if you got your finger in um, Isaiah chapter 16, let's go back there. When the persecution begins, he tells them to flee. Now, when you see the abomination of desolation, then, then flee into the wilderness. Pray that your flight isn't on the Sabbath day. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that it's not the winter wintertime. Uh, why? Because it's more difficult to run under those circumstances. So where do they run to? I'm not saying all of them run to Jordan, known back then as Moab and Edom, but to a particular place that I've been to several times. It's called Petra. And um, if you're in chapter 16, it says, send the lamb to, to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness. Selah, Petra, same thing to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. Now this is a very uh, poetic way of saying um, that they're fleeing uh, from the decree of of, uh, the Antichrist when you see the abomination of desolation. That's the Antichrist going into the temple, head for the hills, take off. Well here it's very poetic That event is the same as a a wandering bird being thrown out of its nest, the nest being Jerusalem. So shall the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. And then it says, take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. All right, here there is a picture, another way of saying them running. They're being outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Now that Moab is Jordan. And be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Now the spoiler here is a reference to the Antichrist. In other words, he's prophesying here, and he says when you're cast out, flee to Petra, Selah, in Jordan, Eden or Moab, and from the for the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. Um. This would be a good place. Let's see if I want to put that on the screen now. I think I'll wait on that. Uh, from here, they we can go back to. Uh, Revelation 19, and let's connect some dots here. Revelation 19. So we have his first being taken into heaven in Acts 1. Um, Tells Israel, you're not going to see me again until you repent of your singular, your sin, which was rejecting him. And then uh, during the middle of the tribulation, uh, we have the abomination of desolation taking place and they head for the hills. They go to Moab. And uh, they will be there until they cry out to the Lord. And uh, again, that is Hosea chapter five and chapter six. And they cry out to the Lord and he comes. So now let's um, pick up and read Well, let's pick up and read. Pick it up in uh, chapter 19, verse 13. It says, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. Armies of heaven, um, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads, notice the wording here because it's going to be identical in the Old Testament. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Um, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 63. And the first thing I want to point out in verse 1 is who is this who is coming from Edom Who's dried garments from Basra? Well, what did we read in chapter 16? What is, what is uh, Moab and what is Basra? Well, this is Jordan. So order of events in a chronological order, what's the next thing that happens? Well, in Revelation, it says his garments are dipped in blood. So as he's returning, the first place that he returns to is Petra because they're calling up to him from Petra. And from there, he executes the judgment. Look at verse uh, 1 again. Who is this who comes from Edom with dried garments from Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Question Why is your apparel red? Uh, so, that before he puts his foot back on the Mount of Olives again, uh, he's already taken care of those who have come um, against him. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Exact wording that we have in chapter 19. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples no one was with me. I have trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. So as we talk here about the second coming of the Lord, And um, this verse here, we can't leave out Psalm 2. The second Psalm actually talks about the gathering of nations. And so I'm going to have you turn to the book of Psalms. Told you you are going to be turning a lot tonight. Turn, turn, turn. I think we did that on Sunday. Um, Psalm 2, the second Psalm, tells us, Talk about the Bible being a book of prophecy. You can't even get it. I can't even get it past um, Psalm, uh, Psalm two without the Lord dealing with this event um, known as the, the Battle of Armageddon. Verse one. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, they're actually gathering together, (laughs) somehow being persuaded um, by Satan or the Antichrist that they can actually fight against um, God himself. And this is what is... We're watching it happen today, by the way. I believe there's a move for depopulation. I believe there's a big rise in anti-Semitism. And the the idea here is kill all the Jews. Uh, that's what the Holocaust was all about. Um, Hitler could have probably won the war. I've, I've spoken about this before. But instead of using the railroad... to to take armies to the northern front in Russia, he was using those railroad cars to gather up Jews to bring them to Birkenau and, and, and Auschwitz and other concentration camps. Why? Because if there is no more Jews, guess what? They can't say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, come. You have to be Jewish to do that. But what if there's no Jews? So the whole idea in his plan is the elimination of uh, the Jewish people, but also uh, Christians. That's why we're seeing the, the, this rise in anti Semitism today. And uh, I like this they plot a vain thing. Now, the Lord's response at verse 4 He who sits in heaven shall laugh, um, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. This is another um, word that's used often for the battle of Armageddon. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king, my holy hill, on Zion. So now we're talking about Mount Zion and where. Um, uh, Uh, The millennial temple will be rebuilt. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, so here we have again the Trinity. The Father here speaking to the Son, today I have begotten you, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron. Well, what did we read? He's going to rule with how? Revelation 19, with a rule, rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like potters' vessels. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little, and blessed are those who put their trust in him. So we have, we have to bring in Psalm 2 here, and we have him um, going to Petra, but then now he returns from Petra with stained garments. Now we need to go back to Zechariah, and this is an order of events here. Again, Zechariah is the last Old Testament book. Back to verse 14 again. And I'll just read verse 4 and then give you a quote from Dwight J. Pentecost. Verse 4 And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Which faces Jerusalem on the east, on the Mount of Olives it will split in two, in other words, when its foot comes back to Jerusalem uh from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain will be moved towards the north and half uh to the south. Now I'll quote something here by Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost. Isn't that a great name, Dwight? <laughs> Um, Concerning this earthquake, this is a true story. Um, A news magazine reported some time ago that a large hotel chain had sent a crew of engineers and geologists to Jerusalem to explore the possibility of building a hotel on top of the Mount of Olives. After their exploration... They reported that the site was a poor place to build because the Mount of Olives is in the center of a geographical fault, and an earthquake in that area might divide the mountain, and a hotel would certainly be be destroyed. So they decided against building there and found another place of property in another area. Subsequently, another hotel was erected on the Mount of Olives, which provides a breathtaking view of the old city of Jerusalem. I stayed in this hotel one time and um, the Mount of Olives and you have this unbelievable view. I would stay there all the time except as soon as you cross over the, the Brook Kidron which is sort of a dividing line between East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem. In other words it's all Palestinian land and we won't Give our money to that hotel, so we go to Jewish hotels. and but having said that, it's got the most incredible view of the um, of, of of Jerusalem, but they built it there instead of uh, where they were originally uh, going to build it because where the fault goes goes through. All right, next um, order of events here. Would be, he now has come, he's returned. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. What does he do when he returns? What's the first order of business? I tell you what, keep your finger here, and um, the Lord's bringing a verse back to memory, and go to Daniel chapter 12. A point I guess I should be making is not only does the book of Daniel tell you to the day when Jesus would come, April 632 AD is the only time he allowed people to worship him as the Messiah, that we learn from Daniel chapter 9, but Daniel chapter 12 tells us to the day when he's going to return the second time. But in order for you to know that day, you would have to not be raptured, enter into the tribulation period, and experience when the Antichrist, according to Thessalonians, goes into the temple and he declares himself to be God. We call that event the abomination of desolation. So now we're going to a specific day. When is that day? Daniel 9, verse 27 says, then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week or one seven-year period of time. But in the middle of the week, well, what's that? That's, um, well, um, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, so on and so forth. And he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall be one made desolate even until the consummation, which is determined. So, here we're told the beginning of the tribulation starts with a peace treaty with Israel. He keeps it for three and a half years. Now, this is a starting point. Now, if you go to chapter 12, um, I'll pick it up. Daniel has just been given this incredible book. And as He's closing things up in the last couple of verses. He wants to know, Lord, fill me in on the details <laughs> and tell, tell me more. And verse 8 says, with all these um, um, uh, visions that he's been given, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what will be the end of all these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end in other words it's not going to make sense to people until we actually get really close to the end and I like to say it sort of this way imagine being a Christian um, in a Christian college um, in the year 300 and f- rounded off 50 I'll just throw that out there and um, you have to teach the book of Revelation. And you look at it and you read, well, the first couple chapters seem to be talking about the church, but the whole rest of the book is all about Israel. There is no Israel. So we have a problem here. So this is where I believe replacement theology has its roots. Is everybody with me when I use the terminology replacement theology? Basically it means because Israel rejected Jesus, Jesus has rejected them. All the promises that he made to Israel are transferred now over to or replaced and given to the church, replacement theology. And um, um, we're told here, Daniel wants to know, he says, you ain't gonna get it, Daniel. Most of the church age until May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation once again. Um, hardcore Bible believers that believe the, the Bible is inerrant and without error, when they were put to the challenge, book of Revelation, must be allegorical, must be spiritual, spiritualized, because there is no Israel. And so they had to come up with something else. But those who were hardcore and saying, no, you're right, we don't understand right now, it's shut up and sealed. Until? Until when? until Israel comes back and becomes a nation again. And there, there were those who taught, we don't understand it now, but Israel will be, come back and be in existence again. And guess what? 72 years ago, it's going on 73 now, they're back. And we're getting it. Now go to, um, um, back to uh, Daniel 12, uh, go, because it's shut up and sealed till the time of the end many will be purified, made white and refined, this is during the tribulation but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but the wise will understand and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away well when did that happen this is when according to Thessalonians the Antichrist goes into the temple showing himself that he is God That's the abomination of desolation. That's what's being made reference to here. When that day happens and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day. So we got a 45-day period of time and all of a sudden those who make it to that period of time they're going to be blessed for some reason, and the other ones aren't going to be blessed. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest, and you will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. I can tell you to the day that Jesus Christ is going to return in Revelation chapter 19. Let's go back to now Matthew chapter 25, and you could just, for those that aren't saved, that get saved during this, and this is being explained to them. Um, We now have the Lord returning after that period of time, and they can just start marking their calendar off. It says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory And all the nations will be gathered together before him. He will separate them one from another as a sheep divides uh, the sheep from the goats. So we have two kinds of people. Let me put it to you this way there's people that actually, even though half of the world's population is destroyed during the Great Tribulation, there's still people alive. Some are saved, and some have taken the mark of the beast. Sheep here are the ones that are saved. The goats are the ones that are not saved. So it begs the question from Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 12, what's going on during this 45-day period of time? And we've, I believe that it's a time, that's how much time it's going to take to separate true believers from those who are goats. They're called sheep and goats, but it's really sheep saved, goats not saved. And we're talking all the nations. It goes on to say, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And now this is a chronology. This is the first thing that the Lord is going to do, very first thing, because what's happening next, and the reason that uh, in um, Daniel it says, the blessed ones, those that make it to the 1,335th day, uh, they get to enter into the millennium. But there's this 45-day period of time where he's got to make the separation. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're, we're talking the kingdom age. We're talking the millennium. That's why they're blessed, then I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Instead of anti-Semitism and hatred towards the Jews, we have people that were comforting them and hiding them and feeding them. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in a prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirst and you gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did you see me sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let me just stop and make a point here. Uh, Many missionary organizations use this verse and apply it to us, the church age. And even though it's true um, that we will be rewarded for things that we've done in the name of the Lord, the context here is what? Immediately after uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So it's at the second coming and he's talking to the people that are alive who made it through the tribulation. So there's one group, that are saved, now he addresses the other group, the goats. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it uh, to one of the least of these, uh, I'm sorry, verse 41, then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I guess, um, um, Jesus believes in hell matter of fact he talked about it more than anybody else for those who claim there is no such place uh, the Lord sure does for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and didn't clothe me sick and in prison you didn't visit me and then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you a hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, As surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, is the idea, or the Jewish people, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into temporary punishment until purgatory time is over and then they can go to heaven (laughs) I mean that's that's solid Catholic theology okay it isn't anymore and I know I mentioned this earlier uh, the Pope does not hold to any of the basic doctrines of Roman Catholicism he is a globalist and he's in line to He's put aside all these doctrines. Everybody's going to heaven. Can you imagine what the Catholics are going through right now? After all they've been brought up and then learned, their heads are spinning. And they're going, what do you mean all men are going to heaven? And um, uh, But yet that's where this pope is at right now, and I think it's late, and he's going to be a part of the one world religious system. That's just my thinking. You can agree with that or not. Um, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, not temporary, not annihilationism, but the righteous into everlasting life. So, what's the chronology? He leaves, Acts 1, goes to heaven. Uh, Zechariah tells us he comes back to exactly the same place, but before that, um, we can put that up on the screen now, Tony. I just want to show you the distance of the of um, from Petra to um, Megiddo, which is right by Mount Carmel. Uh, that sixteen hundred furlongs is exactly one hundred and eighty-four miles. It's exactly 184 four miles this is you know it talks about the blood coming up to the horse's bridle the amount of blood that's going to come out as a result of this war and the lord says he calls for all the birds and to come and feast and uh, that's what's in reference here but i wanted to give you um, why i believe this place is petra where they go to because it's exactly 1,600 furlongs or 184 miles from what we call the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Valley of Megiddo is where we get the word Armageddon from. Is this a coincidence? I don't think so. And um, so he returns to Petra because they call upon his name, and from Petra, after that, we have the battle itself, a garment stained with blood, he goes back to Jerusalem, according to Isaiah, and, um, and that's where he sets his feet again. And let's finish this up, and go back to uh, chapter 19, pick it up in verse 17 to 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather together for the great supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and those who sit on him the flesh of all people free and slave both small and great and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him there's Psalm 2, who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark. Um, these two who worshipped who his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire. They don't even make it to this judgment time but the rest of the people that were in uh, the tribulation, these guys are cast immediately into the lake of fire. And the rest were killed with the sword which which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds of and all the birds were filled with their flesh. All right. Uh, what is the result of the Lord's second coming? Well, for one thing, um. It's an end to the beast and a false prophet. And you may say, well, what about Satan? Well, you're gonna to have to wait two more weeks for that. That's, that's chapter 20. He has a special plan for Lucifer. Um, what is the results of the second coming? Um, go to the book of Zechariah, get the last chapter only this time we're going to chapter 12. The emotional reaction to Israel, and I think you would have to be a Jew who has been praying daily for the Messiah to come. That's part of their everyday prayer life, for the Messiah to come. And you're doing that your whole life. And then you realize you missed him. Um, I can't put... Um, the emotional words that I'm about to read to you, but I hope you can get to feel. Uh, The first reaction to the second coming in Israel is one of temporary sorrow. Pick it up in chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. So when they realize Jesus was the Messiah, the the emotional reaction is one of grief and they can't believe they missed him and that they actually are a part of Pilate and the Romans and the execution of our Lord. It says, in that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at hedah and in the plains of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. They have to be alone. They want to be by themselves. It's too overwhelming, as they digest, that they were the ones that missed it. If you just turn the page to Um, verse 6 someone actually says to Jesus a Jewish person Verse: someone will say what are these wounds in your hands and he will answer them oh these are which I was wounded in the house of my friends wow that's a zinger and um, the last one I'll take you to is not on a note of sorrow because this is only temporary the last verse is Isaiah chapter 25. Give you a chance to get there. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, and I'm looking at verses eight and nine, which tell us he will swallow up death forever. So what's the result of Jesus' sec- second coming? Well, he will swallow up death forever. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. Uh, We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we'll be glad and rejoice in salvation. So at first, the realization that brings the morning, But then the revelation, as it says in Hosea, let's call on the Lord and let us live in his presence. And that's what happens for the next thousand years. I can't believe it. I got a whole minute left. I'm supposed to be out on the other side. <laughs> let's stand and we'll pray. Can you see why I had to cut chapter 19 and 2? Um, because it's a completely different study when we talk about the wedding of the Lamb. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And as we go our separate ways, with the craziness and all that's going on in the world, um, we don't know the times or the seasons. Um, But we do know uh, that it's near, actually because of the times and the seasons. You're... People have returned to their land. And um, the stage is simply being set uh, for the rapture of the church. Um, We thank you for the blessed hope, Lord. We thank you that your word lays out in a chronological order exactly the day that you're gonna come back. And um, what you will do in dividing the sheep from the goats. And the difference that there will be between those that are saved and been raptured and living in the new Jerusalem, in our places, that um, we will be somehow partakers of the next thousand years as your word clearly tells us that we're going to rule and reign with you. So Lord, no matter what we're going through right now, emotionally, emotionally, maybe financial difficulties, emotional difficulties, sorrows. At least we know how it all turns out in the end. And that you have a purpose and you have a plan and there isn't any power in the universe that's going to stop this from taking place. And we call this the blessed hope of your coming. Um, So go before us the rest of this night. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.